Hello, and welcome to another episode of Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. I'd like to remind you that you can reach us at heartstockradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you all. And also, our guest today is Mandar Apte. He is the director of Cities for Peace and the Purpose Innovation Lab. In just a moment, Mandar will be with us and tell us all about what he is up to. He's actually speaking with us from India. Just a moment, we will be back with Mandar. This is Heartstock. Thanks for listening. Welcome once again to Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and today our guest is Mandar Apte. He is the director of Cities for Peace and Purpose Innovation Lab. Hello, Mandar. Hello, Carol. Thank you for having me. So where in India are you speaking with us from? I am in the financial capital uh, city, Mumbai, on the West Coast. And rainy season, monsoon season just started yesterday. So uh, when it pours, it really pours. And uh, we are looking forward to it from a, a long, scorching summer that we have just gone through. Are you in a drought like so many other places? No, there has not been a drought as such, but uh, the heat has been beyond normal. It has uh. been uh, 40, 40 degrees, for even 45 degrees centigrade, mm. way above normal this year. So the gods must pour equal amounts of <laughs> rain and so solace through the water. That's what we are all hoping here. Can you give our listeners an introduction what is uh, Cities for Peace and the Purpose Innovation Lab? And what do you do there? The Cities for Peace is a nonprofit civic initiative that uh, I have started three years ago uh, as a as a as a response uh, against the violence that we see in our cities and communities. Uh, a few years ago, I had a key moment of truth where I felt that these acts of violence, whether it is uh, a suicide or a homicide or drug abuse or global terrorism or these mass shootings, they happen so often that I have become numb to it. And that is where I woke up. I felt like it can happen anywhere. It can happen anytime. It doesn't look at my bank balance these acts of violence do, don't look at my socio-political economic status. And so uh, I observed myself that I was getting desensitized by so many acts of violence that the media is covering that I felt unless it happens to me or to somebody near to me or in the neighborhood school, I may not do anything about it, Carol. And that for me was a wake-up call. I felt like after these acts of violence happen. Uh, there is so much outpour of compassion, of flowers, of hugs, that we somehow wait for those violence acts to show our compassion. 
and that was for me a wake up call that is where i felt i need to do something that blends my corporate innovation life uh, where i was the head of innovation for shell oil company and my activism my you know desire for a peaceful society my uh, work as a meditation teacher in providing tools for healing so i i wanted to combine this and that's how the consultancy on peace started and we are in the business of promoting peace but peace we need to redefine we need to reimagine it is not just the absence of war and so that is a little bit about uh, you know the consulting process of the discovery process of what is violence in your community what is neighborhood uh, violence and how can we come together to promote compassion and light and love and peace so that is the uh, cities for peace work the second initiative that i started again few years ago is called the purpose innovation lab and it's a for profit consultancy for after george floyd murder i felt like america is at a inflection point people are st- people have started to look out for each other people have started to come out on the streets and uh, you know say enough is enough and many brands also supported those initiatives promoting gender equality and purpose and all these things started bubbling in the american corporate world and that is where i felt like brands or large organizations need to ask themselves what else can be their purpose and so that is where we need to innovate we need to test we need to create a sandbox and uh, that is uh, a little bit about what we do in the lab is uh, help organizations to reimagine rediscover rethink the purpose of their business so i have to uh, ask this question which was one of the main reasons why i wanted to interview you and that is how do you go from a shell executive to where you are now and so many of our guests have these kind of big transitions in life was there a, a point at which you kind of had to draw a line in the sand and not be involved in propagating global warming and the impact of big oil how did help us understand how you went from where you were to where you are now i mean it's a great question and i uh, i feel like uh, whatever we do in our life we think we are doing it new but i think life is preparing us so every experience that we have in our life whether it is a good experience or a seemingly not so good experience all those things are preparing us to do what next and that is evolution in itself right we are all in this world for a short amount of time we all once our basic human needs are met we are all looking for a higher purpose so that was my journey as well i joined uh, royal dutch shell in 1999 as a petroleum engineer very quickly i realized that i'm an engineer by training but i'm a very people person i was more into creating harmon- harmonious relationships with the roughnecks that i was working in louisiana i wanted to know more about the admins in my office like i was a people person i, I realized it very quickly and so i uh, started shaping my corporate career towards people development a blessing in disguise happened in my life where i was uh, invited to join the innovation program at shell called game changer my manager 
now friend, philosopher, guide, uh, Russ Conser is his name. He asked me in the interview, what do you do in your personal life? What keeps you alive and awake? So this question, I shared with him my personal life where I was a meditation instructor and I used to teach the returning veterans that were coming from the Iraq and Afghanistan missions in my evenings and weekends, yoga and meditation practice. So once I shared this, my uh, manager asked me, why do you do it? So I said, Russ, uh, you know, I get my life back. It's like my mojo comes back when I start helping those who don't have the privilege of a stress-free life. So for me, it's a reset. I reset my own life because of this, uh, you know, helping others through meditation techniques. And so Russ told me, why don't you teach at work? And so I literally popped out of my chair and I said, what? You, you want me to bring my passion at work? And he said, yeah, but only 10% of your time. So this is what we need. We all need somebody like Russ was for me, where we are encouraged to bring our personal life and passion at the workplace so that there is no Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And so that is one reason I stayed at Shell for this long is I had a boss that really valued what I was bringing to the table. And uh, with that uh, air cover, as we call it in the corporate world, uh, I designed a program that blended meditation practices for creating the innovation culture at the workplace. And uh, I taught about 2,000 people at Shell to meditate in less than two years. So that is where I feel, even though I was a meditation teacher for 10 years ago, <laughs> those skills and abilities were never channeled. That is where I would say my journey in Shell uh, recalibrated and I stayed for another six years because then, you know, you meet people who are kindred spirits. And I met this day, nine years ago, uh, incidentally, the CEO of Royal Dutch Shell, Carol. I had a meeting with my CEO and he honored me in his office. Uh, I had won an external award on uh, intrapreneurship for this program that uh, taught 2,000 people at Shell to meditate. And so he asked me, what do you want to do next? So I had gone there prepared with a job profile, a job that I had designed with my you know, manager, Russ. And so that conversation with the CEO this day, I was able to influence him to expand the mandate of Shell's innovation practice to also solve social problems in the world. And that is why I stayed another four years because I was able to influence my CEO. He created this, you know, multi-million dollar investment fund that I managed that looked at problems at the society business interface. I, I would say I found a sweet spot in my corporate life that I can use the power of the Shell brand and the, uh, and the reach of the Shell brand to look at solving problems in society. So one thing leads to the other, Carol. I don't think there was one trigger point for me. The reason I left Shell, Carol, is six years ago, I had another idea. I wanted to promote peace, like I said in my introduction. And I produced a documentary film 
it was produced in one month. I came back to work. My boss said, you have to leave because the film was very emotional. The film, the story of the film that we had, you know, unscripted uh, documentary. We had taken the parents from the Sandy Hook School, gang members from Los Angeles, Black Lives Matter. We had hosted them on a 10-day pilgrimage to India. And that that was my trigger point. Like That is why I left my company, because I felt awakened when I spent those 10 days with these brave hearts. I felt peace should be my higher purpose. And that is where I left Shell, with the sole mission of, can I promote peace and can I solve the challenges of the world using my corporate innovation background? Does that answer your question? Somewhat. I have so many questions for you, but did you at some point feel that there was some cognitive dissonance or disconnect between global warming and the impact of companies like Shell or the petroleum industry, global warming, and your mission to create a peaceful world? <laughs> how do you how do you resolve those two Absolutely. conflicting ideas? Absolutely. I mean, who who will not have it? And uh, being part of the innovation team, we our charter was to innovate. Our charter was to find new sustainable ways of producing energy. That was the mandate. That is where you know you can think of the mandate of the future of Shell, which uh, you know. Somebody has to try new things, and that was my job. So that is one reason why I stayed, because the job mandate was to transform the company. And uh, doing it from inside out seems very simple, but it's actually a very challenging thing to do because of the antibodies that show up <laughs> who don't want to change. <laughs> and so, you know, that was that was one reason why I stayed in this uh, Game Changer role, because we were take we were we were solving social and environmental problems through the job mandate and transforming the culture of the workplace and yeah those are those are very hard uh, decisions that you know i felt i want to leave i i had this feeling for almost 10 years before i met russ mm -hmm. the reason i did not change my job is i felt that transformation begins when we change internally in our life, you know, wherever, whichever crisis we may be going through, whether it's a divorce or a hurricane, those externalities, of course, make you uh, question life, blame, but the real transformation happens when we look inward. And the same approach can be used for the transformation of an organization. So outer climate change can only be transformed when the inner climate of organizations change. And that is what you need internal change agents. You can't do it from outside. Oh, well, you can do it, but it also requires that inside-out approach. Mm -hmm. So that is why I stayed, because the inner climate also needs to be addressed. Just like an individual, an organization also has an inner climate. And outer climate change could just be a checkbox unless that inner transformation happens uh, where you are uh, one, where we, you are, you know, your sustainability doesn't just stop with climate change. You feel a sense of connection with people around you. 
the earth, the rivers, the trees, the mountains, unless that feeling comes, outer climate change is just, I would say, a checkbox. So we're going to take our midway point break here. In just a moment, we will be right back and uh, learn more about your Cities for Peace. I'd love to hear more about your documentary also. This is Artstock. We'll be right back. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Welcome back to Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Today, we are speaking with Mandar Apte, and he is the founder of City for Peace, and he also has a consultancy. Tell us a little bit about your mission and how that's kind of playing out with your two organizations. Again, my my mission is uh, simple. I want to be of uh, use on the planet to people around with uh, whatever gifts and talents and skills that I have gained. Uh, My mission is to promote peace, harmony and compassion, which is the mission of almost all awakened people. Our approach to that may be different. Why is it important? Because I feel with the growing turbulence on the planet, the chaos, the depression, the suicides, the drug abuse, the mass shootings, they are all happening. It's not just a fairy tale. It's happening. That is where I feel we have to engage business. We have to engage business to be part of the solution. And we have to engage civil society. Civil society has to be part of the solution to actively promote peace, not just as a after effect of an act of violence. So those two are the threads that I have. One is activating civil society by providing inspirational stories of uh, what can be done. And second is activating and getting the business community involved because peace and prosperity are two sides of the same coin. Only when there is peace, prosperity follows. And just like there is a business of violence, a business of drugs, a business of human trafficking, child trafficking, I would say there is a huge business for peace. So that is my mission, is to work with businesses to look at, can peace be profitable, right? Can there be a business model to promote peace? And for civil society, activating the the community builders, peace builders, not to wait for the acts of violence but actively promote peace and compassion in, of course, whatever manner you can. We cannot change the world, but maybe we can influence and change the world that we influence, the people that we come in contact with. And how about the pilgrimage? This kind of relates to success stories and impact. I can only imagine 
The transformational effect that that must have had on the folks that went with you, who were on the journey and and what was their response? That journey changed my life as well. You cannot but transform when you are with other fellow change makers and people who are, you know, actively promoting peace. That is, uh, you get that energy from them as well. So that is where we all transformed. We all healed ourselves together. Pilgrimages do that. Whether you travel to India or South Africa or wherever, when you leave your own space, protected space, and when you go and travel uh, with an open mind, then I think that uh, journey has the potential to transform. I was inspired by uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. King's journey to India that I accidentally read in his autobiography. I saw he had written 30 pages about his journey to India. I did not know anything about this journey that he had made as a young man. And that is where the idea of my documentary film came about that, oh my God, this man is writing about his transformative pilgrimage. What happened in India? Because Gandhi was dead. Gandhi did not meet King. But he came back with the energy of Gandhi, with the wisdom of Gandhi. And that we all know that he used nonviolence as a cornerstone in the civil rights movement. So for me, that was the, the, the inspiration. Like, can this journey to India that transformed Dr. King and through his work transformed the narrative, all of us, can America be transformed by a journey to India today? That was the question mark. And so uh, the people that I invited included victims of violence, survivors of violence. And uh, the six people that finally came on this trip uh, was a single parent from Sandy Hook, a former gang member from Los Angeles, uh, a school educator from Newark, New Jersey, and Black Lives Matter activists from Oakland. So six kindred spirits and Mandar <laughs> traveled <laughs> for 10 days. We didn't know each other. They didn't know each other. They didn't know me. They agreed to come just on a FaceTime call. And from the time I had the idea after reading the autobiography of Dr. King, within five weeks, I had finished and done something unthinkable. I had produced a documentary film with complete strangers. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. I didn't know what I was doing. But at, you know the the feeling I had was I want to learn like what hap what will happen if I do this as an experiment, and the reason it was done in five weeks is that was the five week holiday that I was on. I was still working at Shell, running this game changer program. I had taken a month long holiday, and I I decided to put my time on something that that I had not never done before. So when I came back to India from this trip, my my mentors, my my boss, uh, they heard what I had done, and that was for me a trigger. Like that was a, a trip of a lifetime. And so I started a social business, Carol. When I left Shell, I felt I want to do this again and again and again. So before the pandemic, I uh, hosted four trips, four pilgrimages. And the last pilgrimage was 34 people, Carol, 17 police officers from different police departments from across the United States, and 17 people of color from different communities of the United States. And 
I wanted to see what happens when I post them 10,000 miles away. <laughs> what conversations will happen? And that is uh, the power of a pilgrimage is you can connect hearts and minds. You can heal together as a group. I would have loved to been there and witnessed and, and participate in the conversations. What was the impact, especially, you know, on the police officers? You know, these are, again, we were talking about diametrically opposed or polar opposites. What kind of transformations did you see? So I saw many things. I saw police officers crying. I had hosted a, a young female incarcerated woman of 21 years old. I saw her emote when we hosted her in a prison in Bangalore in India. And so a transformation is a gradual process. It's not like McDonald's. It's not like fast food, right? So <laughs> it's slow burning. And so police officers, I feel they are trained to solve problems. They are actually innovation officers. They are peace officers. But when they do their job, because they must be seeing so much violence, that they also become immune. They also may be becoming desensitized. So that is what I felt. Like when we expose these brave men and women who wear the uniform, they may have started their career with a good purpose of, you know, protecting their community. But somehow this connection between the head and the heart got uh, cut. And so if the pilgrimage becomes a place where the heart is opened up again, then that can be transformation for a lifetime. And the same is true for the community members that I saw, that just the blue uniform may be triggering something without even engaging with the officer. And so if we can also learn to see the person, not the uniform, and that is where, you know, we need to have uh, bridge builders. We need to have people who are healers. And so all this happens in a pilgrimage by itself because you are forced to be in a traffic jam, sitting next to each other. And what will you do? So you have to converse. And that is what our pilgrimages are designed for, is uh, uncomfortable conversations. But 10,000 miles away where, you know, nobody knows you from, <laughs> from God. God knows where. You are forced with each other. I think that is where my learning experience was that we need to do more of these conversations that are not judging each other, right? We, are, we, we just create a safe place where human-to-human -human conversations can happen. And then miracles happen, as you know. Miracles happen when the heart is open. So one quick question. You have an educational module how can folks find that and how can uh, folks find you? The educational module is called Be The Change. And uh, the module consists of my documentary, the one I mentioned uh, during this conversation, where we have hosted uh, survivors and victims of violence to India. The module also consists uh, the framework of healing from our traumas. And it includes uh, meditation and breath practices that you can safely try at home. So that uh, Be The Change module is available on my website, mandarapte.net. And it is also available on citiesforpeace.org, citiesnumber4peace.org. Thank you very much for sharing your story. 
and answering our questions <laughs> and the amazing work you're doing. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Carol, and continue your work as well. Our mission to open up hearts and minds is a shared mission. So let's stay in touch. And uh, anybody who is listening, please reach out because life is short. And let's see what we can do to collaborate and leave a legacy for our children that uh, peace is not just the absence of war. It's, it is our innate nature. Our nature is peace. Our nature is love. Hmm. Thank you. And as usual, this is going to be a hard act to follow, but we will be back next week. See you then. Peace. And on the sign it no Hardstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. Hear me, it's